only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Would you turn to Romans chapter 7? If you don't have your Bible, you can take the blue Bible in the chair or pew. And you can turn to page 943, 943. Paul has just given an example of what happens in real life when a woman loses her husband and how she is then free from being bound to him to marry another. And using that example... Paul now says that we have been set free from the law, that we have died to that condition of being under the law, and now we're joined to Christ. So he's, he's likening it to a former marriage and now a present marriage, that we are broken from our relationship to the law and now joined to Christ. <clears throat> but this is one of the greatest sections on how the law affects us. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet, but sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me All kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh sold under sin.
The scripture reading for the sermon today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If you'd like to read along, it's on page 965 of the Blue Pew Bible. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if, if it, what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Let's pray together as we begin. Lord, we praise you that we live in the time of the Spirit, this age of the Spirit inaugurated through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we now are temples of the Holy Spirit, We thank you that the Spirit has poured out the love of God in our hearts, communicated that to us, that the Spirit works in us and actually cries within us and creates the cry in our own hearts of Abba, Father, for enabling us to address you intimately as our Father. Lord, we praise you that the Spirit takes hold of our lives And whereas the law, the letter of it, as we've just read, would kill us, would put us to death, would condemn us, would only increase our sin, the Holy Spirit so transforms us so that we are able from the heart with new desires and new passions to obey that law, to obey your word. We thank you, O Lord, that we live in such an age in which the Spirit is given so lavishly upon us, for us. We thank you that the Spirit binds us together as your people. We thank you that the Spirit is present, not just that individually He dwells in us, but that He dwells in us, as Paul says, in y'all. He dwells in us corporately. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present. And Lord Jesus, that 
through the Spirit, you are present with your people to bless us even now. We come to your word, Lord, to some things that are difficult, some things that are hard to understand, as Peter said. But we pray, give us diligence and give us care and attention. And Lord, conform us to your word that we will understand it and that we will live it out. We will live the new life that we have in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. May it change the way we live in our homes and in our communities and in, our, and in this, this church, Lord. May we ever be making progress. May week after week we be growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and growing in our conformity to Christ by your Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> One scientist was talking about the tree frogs that they had collected in Guyana, South America, 80% rainforest, so there are a lot of tree frogs there. And he was talking about how wonderful the colors are and the patterns on these frogs, red, blue, golden stripe, any kind of combination of colors on these little things. And they are little. These particular frogs go from like a half an inch. And, you know, you put your finger up and say a half an inch, a full-grown frog, that's a tiny little thing, to about two inches. That's not that big. And he says when they're all collected in a jelly jar, they look like brightly colored candy, you know, all in that jar. But, of course, and they have names. Even their official names reflect the, the beauty uh, Dendrobates azurezus, okay? This uh, azureus, azure means blue, so his very name is the blue, you know, tree frog. Uh, Dendrobates aratus, gold, They're talking about his gold color. Now, you might think then it would be fun to reach in there and get a few of those lovely little, little things, as the guy calls them, and hold them in your hand. But, of course, that would not be a good idea. Uh, we have the old skull and crossbones, don't we, that indicates poison. It's an international symbol of poison. Well, the jungle has its little symbol of poison, and it's the bright colors on these frogs. These bright colors are warning sign to predators Touch me and you die, okay? The uh, poison, interestingly, comes through insects, mainly ants, that feed on plants that have these toxins. And so it gets into the skin and bodies of these little frogs. And so uh, the real name of the Dendrobates azureus is the blue poison dart frog, Okay or the green and black poison dart frog. It's about three that the Indians there use for their arrows. But when they have one of these frogs, it's like a tiny little poison factory, you know, that produces for them. But there's, there's one frog that's called Philobates terribilis. Terrible. You can guess. He is the golden poison dart frog, and he calls the, the poison called Batrachotoxin. Batrachotoxin. Reputedly the deadliest creature in the world. In his beautiful golden little body is enough poison to kill ten people. And you think, 
How could something so beautiful be so deadly? How could something so beautiful be so deadly? And that kind of is what we were asking last week about something very different. And that is the law of God. How could something so beautiful be so deadly? And it is beautiful. Paul says it's holy and righteous and good, as we read. It requires love to God and love to people. But here again, what we just read, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. It proved to be death to me. Even though it was to result in life, it proved to be death to me. And as we read here in 2 Corinthians, the letter kills. It's called a ministry of condemnation, a ministry of death. This good thing. We saw last week two ways in which this law brings about this death in us. Number one, it exposes our sin and then it actually increases our sin. Paul says earlier in Romans 3 that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And here maybe the dart, the poisonous dart frog illustration breaks down a little bit because there's no poison in the law. You know, it's uncontaminated. It's pure. It's wholesome. It's good. Psalm 19.7 says the law is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. And of course, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal or lie or covet. These are good, good rules. Wouldn't society be a better place if they were followed? And yet Paul says when it, the commandment came, it resulted in death. Well, how does that work? And perhaps my allergy to Brazil nuts uh, can help a little bit as an illustration. There's nothing poisonous in a Brazil nut. Now, Kay tells me, because I can't eat them, but she tells me that that's not her favorite. In fact, it's her least favorite nut. I don't know how it rates on your scale of nuts, but it's not poisonous in itself. But they hurt me because I'm so severely allergic to them. If even a tiny bit of it gets in my tongue, it swells my tongue, it swells my throat, I feel like dying already. It's such a horrible feeling of trying to cough it up and spit it out. And it's swelling everything all the way down. My stomach starts hurting when it hits my stomach. And then when it finally gets in the bloodstream, you can hear it. I think I told you one of my good friends uh, in, in college, uh, Randy Pope, actually uh, had me close my eyes and open my mouth. He said, I want to do something. Just close your... He's a practical joker. And I said, Randy, I'd rather shoot myself in the head than to do that, you know, before you. I think I've told you this before. He had a Brazil nut in his hand. I just wanted to see what it would do. <laughs> Kill me. That's what it would do. You see, in a way that's, that's similar, morally, and in terms of our spiritual lives, in terms of our commitments and what we really love, what we really are in our hearts, we're allergic to God's law. The law is healthy. It's good in itself, but it's so foreign, so alien to us. Because the law requires radical love to God and radical love to others. That's what Jesus told us. 
It requires that we spend ourselves lavishly and joyfully in love for God and others, that we lose ourselves in loving others, and that we'll find ourselves as we spend ourselves. And we will be condemned if we don't. You know what it's like when you open the refrigerator, you smell the sour milk, and there's usually some person in the house, and that's me, who's the final judge, you know, but I can't stand to smell sour milk. And several times Kay says, would you smell this? And I think, I don't want to smell it, just pour it out. Because you smell it and, you know, you just recoil. Think, God. Oh. And it is really sad. It's pathetic. But that's our reaction to the law. We take a whiff of its requirement for radical love and we just recoil. We recoil. It's our soul's reaction. It's so far beyond us. It just sounds ridiculous. You're going overboard. And Alabama would say, you're taking this thing way too far, right? This love thing. And so in 1 Corinthians 2, it says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. He can't understand them. This is ridiculous. The things of God, the things of this radical love. Or as he puts it in Romans 8, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. What is that law? That law is just the demand to love. It, it, it will not submit to it. It cannot submit to that kind of love. That's not who we are. That's not what we're committed to. We're hostile to any attack on self, any idea that displaces self from the center of our attention. That's crazy to us. This commitment to self shows up in every sin in our lives, every argument, every relational tension and breakdown. It shows up in our anger and jealousy and envy and lust and covetousness and laziness and irresponsibility and indifference. The law exposes how committed to self I am, how idolatrous I am. It's light shining into the darkness. You don't think you have cockroaches in your house until a guy gets under the house or gets behind the wall of the kitchen. He shines the light in there and you hear the sickening sound of their scurrying in every direction. <laughs> don't even want to think about it. I opened a... Well, this is college, of course, and we were in this huge high-rise at the University of Tennessee and we had a pile of potatoes in a plastic bag under the sink. And one time, I opened it up, and there were hundreds in that bag. Yeah, I want you to feel sick about it. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what happens when God's law shines into our lives, and it's discovered suddenly. We think it's not there, but the law comes, and we rise up against it. It exposes our sin. It exposes the lack of that radical love. But we saw also it actually increases sin. It increases sin. That's how bad we've got it. As we just read in Romans 7, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law 
We're working our members to bear fruit for death. Now, literally the word arouse is not there. It literally reads, our sinful passions through the law were at work. Through the perfect good law? Yeah, how could that be? Through the law, my passions manifested themselves. So when the law says, do not covet, did we say, okay, I won't. No, Paul says when the commandment said, do not covet, sin taken opportunity produced in me coveting of every kind. Oh, it, didn't, it didn't reduce my sin, it, it multiplied my sin because of my sinfulness. And that's the point Paul says, it shows just how sinful we are. That sin could be, as we said, sinful. You know, it's like black is black talking about a color. White is white. Red is red. Sin is sin, you see. The law has the effect, not of killing sin, but as Paul puts it there, of almost raising sin from the dead. Of course, sin isn't dead. It's it's just shows that it's there. You poke around a tarantula hole like my uncle did one time in West Texas, pretty near uh, in Roaring Springs, pretty near Lubbock, where we used to visit, and sure enough, out came a tarantula. And the law in its purity pokes around in our lives and discovers just how bad sin is. So it's pretty sad when you take the medicine, when you take the medicine that's meant to heal you and it only pushes you further into death. You think your situation is desperate. And that's what the law does. It exposes our sin. It increases our sin. It shows how desperate our situation is. Well, I'm going to move just one step forward. Exposes our sin, increases our sin, and clearly the law condemns our sin. Exposes, increases, and condemns our sin. That's what Paul calls it. It, 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 It's amazing that he can call the whole of that giving of the law, the ministry of condemnation. And of course, the result of condemnation is death. So it's a ministry of condemnation and death. Now next week, we're going to talk a a little bit about the positive overall view of the law that Paul and others have. But he's he's talking about the law as commandment, uh, divorced from promise and divorced from other things. Just the law is as pure commandment. And especially how we tend to take that commandment and try to please God with it. But it's a ministry of condemnation. As Paul says in Romans 4.15, the law brings wrath. Pretty blunt. The law brings wrath. So right as it's exposing and right as it's increasing, then obviously wrath is sure to follow quickly. To condemn that which is exposed and that which multiplies. When we were laying brick in Renosa, uh, the law, I mean the law, the, the wall looked pretty straight until they put the line on it. And then you look down the line and you think, oh, good grief, the thing is all messed up. This brick's got to come out and that one's got to come in and trying to straighten it up. And so the law does that to us. You may feel okay, but the law of a proper white blood count is applied to your body and they find out you have an infection. The law of 98.6 is applied and your temp is 102.8. 
But the law measures us, you see, against this standard of God's love and purity. And sadly, the numbers go off the charts. It'd be like this. If somebody's taking your temperature, and what if the temp came back 118? They say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This thing's broken. It can't be 118. But if we're talking about the law, the voice comes back and says, no, no, it's, it's that bad. 118? I'm dying. (laughs) It's that bad. It's radical. It's terrible. And so it discovers us and condemns us. It's like the law runs dozens of tests and says, there's no way you're going to make it. There's no way you're going to make it. And that's why Paul says at the end of his long section in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, where he's basically doing an exposition, a kind of, Uh, complete presentation of man's sinfulness. He ends by saying, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those that are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Every, particularly every mouth may be stopped. Picture this, as though we're all standing before God and each one of us is busily remembering our goodness to God, okay? On the one hand, the whole place is abuzz uh, with our excuses and our explanations and all of our rationalizations and all of our justification for the things that look like they're pretty bad, okay? And on the other hand, each of us is enumerating our deeds before him carefully emphasizing and detailing each one of them, cataloging them, indexing them, giving cross-references so God won't forget or miss any one of our good deeds, right? And so each one of us is going on and on, and we're chattering and babbling and prattling on this cacophony of self-promotion, and suddenly the law of God breaks into the room. Ever been in one of those restaurants You've got maybe a hundred people and the whole room is humming with conversations until a whole plate of glasses crashes to the floor and then suddenly, there's that little moment of silence, you know. I, I think that's what, that's the kind of idea here. He shuts every mouth that you realize, I better shut up about my, about my righteousness. I better shut up about my sin and making excuses. I have nowhere to get, nowhere to turn. That's what it's like with the law of God. It crashes into each of our lives. It's like blazing its purity into every nook and cranny of our uh, cranny of our lives that are built around self, and we each hear the sickening sound of sin scurrying everywhere under that light. We're each infested. The poison's not in the law. Poison's in us. And about the good works that we were touting to win God's favor, while we're looking for a place to hide them like somebody with a murder weapon or illegal drugs. But they're fixed on our hands. We're under arrest. The law's discovered us. It's flushed us out. It's caught us, it's arrested us, it's convicted us, it's condemned us. 
In its inflexible purity and demand for perfect love, the law declares, you, Darwin, have earned death. It's a ministry of condemnation and death. But I want to end with this precious passage, this statement, and talk about it just for a minute. Romans eleven thirty two. This This is another one of those statements, just like the one we said before, where he shut every mouth up. That's Romans uh, 3, 19. Three, yeah, 3, 19. He shut up every mouth. But then look at Romans eleven thirty two. Here's another part of that. I mentioned it last week. God has consigned all to disobedience. Okay? We've all been consigned to this room marked disobedient. You look to the... Okay, let me open up the room of the righteous. Yay! Nobody's in there. Nobody. All are in this one unrighteous. That's why it says, He died the righteous for the unrighteous. That's all he could die for is the unrighteous because that's all there were is unrighteous, the disobedient because we all are in that. So we're all consigned to disobedient. But here's that second part, that he might have mercy on all. How glorious is that? He shuts you up to that so that there is a way. See, when you try to hold on to your own righteousness, there's no hope of mercy. You will never think you need mercy. You will never trust Him for mercy. But what the law does is all the more convinces us of our need for mercy. And He consigns us all. The law shuts our mouth so that we can taste mercy. And that's where the progression of glory is so wonderfully put here in 2 Corinthians 3. Because the law's requirement for radical love has been met in Jesus Christ. You see, his life and death fulfilled the law so beautifully. He did spend himself for others, even to the point of standing in the place of sinners and bearing the punishment that they deserved. He was the only perfect picture ever of the law's requirement of love. And it's often said that the law is a transcript of God's character. And if that is so, Jesus is that transcript fleshed out in real time, in real life, in real deeds. He's the perfect picture of God. And that's why the Father could say, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So when you tremble, and as you and I should over the requirement of the law and how far I've fallen from it. Here, a champion, a hero steps forward. Our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how this first hymn puts it on page four. One king alone, whose hands and heart are pure, one servant of the Lord with purpose sure can enter in that glory to endure. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He deserves to come into the presence of God because he's perfectly fulfilled the law and perfectly loved. It's a comfort, you see, that you could be, you can trust in Jesus Christ and be joined to him, belong to him, and know that he fulfilled the law for you. 
It's accomplished it. And you can hide yourself in that. You can borrow, as it were, his acceptance. He shares it. That's amazing that Jesus Christ would earn this and then would just take us in and say, I'm going to share that with you. You, you are going to have the blessing forever of what I have accomplished. I'm just giving it to you. I hate sharing something that I did on my own to somebody who doesn't deserve it. I hate it. (laughs) They're going to get credit for something I did? No. No, I did it. You didn't do it. I did it. That's the way we think. Jesus Christ shares it with sinners. Shares with those who at the time despised him and had their backs turned against him. And he still shares it with them. And then the law's condemnation. The law condemns us, but the law's condemnation has been met in Jesus Christ. He so joined himself to us that he became responsible for our sin, answerable to our sin before God, accountable before the Father for our sin. He became liable. Sin was put to his account. Our sin then bore his name and he was seized and condemned by the wrath and judgment of God as though he himself had sinned. So that ministry of condemnation and death had its heyday, its final day of reckoning upon none other than the precious innocent head of Jesus Christ. The law pronounces a curse on everyone who does not obey it perfectly. That curse was pronounced on all of us, but as Paul writes in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Your dear friends, the fact that he hung on a tree, the fact that he is hanging on wood across, that's significant. The, the whole scriptures would stand back and say, he's, he's cursed. He's cursed. He's hung on a tree. Truly he was cursed. Truly. It says he became a curse for us. He was to, The curse that belonged to us was now turned and focused upon Christ. But the comfort is that you can look to him and trust in him and know he takes my curse away. He truly bears away my curse. The wonderful, the scapegoat that pronounced sin over it and it was committed to the wilderness and sin was taken away from the congregation. Taken away. Gone. And that's what he does for you, brother, sister. We struggle with guilt in so many ways. We're either burdened by it or we're denying it and finding ways to avoid thinking about it, trying to anesthetize our guilt. But oh, how glorious. We're released from this pattern. It's a rough pattern of the law, exposing sin, increasing sin, and condemning us for our sin. That's not a good pattern. As Paul describes it in Romans 8, He says, the law of spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, a principle of sin leading to death. Under the law, it's just a principle, a force, sin 
death, sin to death. He says, he set you free from that principle, from that horrible treadmill, from that horrible merry-go-round, that bizarre, sadistic merry-go-round in a sense where we were dying. He set you free. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law will not save you. You can mount up a hundred little rules, a hundred things to try to keep. It will not save you. It will not change your heart. It will not transform you. It's the death and resurrection of Christ. Setting you free from sin's condemnation. And as we will look at next week, it transforms your life. It transforms your life. I made reference to this last week. I want to enlarge a little bit about it. Some of you may have forgotten some of the details about Br'er Rabbit. Remember Br'er Fox? He's going to get Br'er Rabbit, right? So he decides he's going to build a tar baby. and He uses some tar and turpentine and mows it into a little baby and he dresses it with a hat and puts it in the road for Br'er Rabbit. He knows what's going to happen. Good morning, says Br'er Rabbit, doffing his hat. Nice weather we're having. Tar Baby said nothing. Br'er Fox laid low and grinned an evil grin. Br'er Rabbit tried again. And how are you feeling this fine day? Tar Baby, she said nothing. Br'er Fox grinned an evil grin and lay low in the bushes. Br'er Rabbit frowned. This strange creature was not very polite. It was beginning to make him mad. <clears throat> Wondering if Tar Baby was deaf. I said, how are you this morning? Tar Baby said nothing. Br'er Fox curled up into a ball to hide his laughter. His plan was working perfectly. Are you deaf or just rude? Demanded Br'er Rabbit, losing his temper. I can't stand folks that are stuck up. You take off that hat and say, how'd he do? Or I'm going to give you such a licking. And you know how it goes after that. Swings once. Won't let go. He says, I'm going to hit you with the other paw. Swings again. He says, I'm going to light my feet into you. And then both feet are stuck and then his head is stuck and he's lying on the side of the road. Now, you know the story. He gets thrown into the briar patch, begging Bear Fox not to throw him in the briar patch. But what a picture of what's going to happen to you and me if we try to deal with the law and use the law to save us. The law is just going to trap us and trap us further and trap us further into a treadmill of condemnation, of increasing sin, of exposure of our sin. It will not, it cannot save us. Only Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection will save you. Trust him alone. Trust nothing else. Trust no one else. It is Jesus Christ the only one who has obeyed the law. The only one who's borne the curse of the law. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we praise you for giving to us such a one as Jesus Christ. You saw our need. And Lord, why you didn't just turn away in disgust at the very creatures you made that have taken the very things you've given us and we've turned them into our own idols, taken the very life you've given us and we've 
as it were, try to snatch it out of your hands and live it exactly as we want, even when moment by moment you are giving us breath and you are keeping our heart beating. And still, in our pathetic pride, we want to live our lives the way we want to live them. And oh Lord, psychologically, mentally, spiritually, It kills us not to live in love. It kills us not to spend ourselves for others. And yet we continue to hold on to self. Oh Lord, it is through Jesus Christ, through seeing this act of love, that God himself has accomplished. As John said, in seeing that love that is revealed in Christ, then we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. Oh Lord, may you convince some this morning even of the unlimited love of God that would sacrifice His Son in order to rescue us, in order to free us from guilt, in order to transform our lives and give us a true change of heart, a true new nature to... Give us your spirit by which we can begin to have new motives and new desires. Oh, Lord, may we trust in nothing else, nothing else but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, we praise you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. my fears away won't you chase my fears away